everybody, and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. How are you, Biff? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm very excited. Um, our guest today is, is, is somebody that you know, that I've known for a long time, and I'm truly giddy to have this conversation with her. And uh, with that said, hey, everybody, say hello to my friend, Ronick. Hi, Ronick. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna ask Ronick to kind of give me the bio because I have a really bad habit of butchering people's bio. I can try, and then you, you. No, 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 no. Your 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 bad habit is talking on forever. Okay, so I'm since we since we asked for the bio, let's have the bio. <laughs> but first, I gotta I gotta know right away. Ronick, he she Hulk or Wonder Woman? I'm gonna go with She Hulk. Yeah, I, I was I wasn't sure, but I thought so. Okay, uh, do you need my rationale for that? I Absolutely, did, yes. <laughs> okay. So She-Hulk was the first superhero who didn't hide her alter identity, her alternate identity. She would go to for, and also she was a lawyer like myself. She would go to court sometimes as She-Hulk, you know, and so she was the only superhero who did that. Um, second of all, she was the only superhero who like openly boned like villains and stuff like she didn't care she just wanted to get her like her uh, her 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 groove on if you will and uh you know she needed to like regulate you the next week cool 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 but you know for now it was uh you know and wonder woman's a little bit too uh goody goody for me like i like oh. she Hulk. now now they've, they've pretty much revised wonder woman over the last few years she is much more of a badass these days or in the dc universe uh she was always a badass but it definitely felt like um morality was her driver whereas i feel like for she hulk she hulk is the driver <laughs> you know? now 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 if they if they were uh, on one of those distant planets where they had to fight to the death who comes out on top i mean when you're half god i think you win so yeah, okay. I, I think it's a Wonder Woman situation, but how great of a girl on girl porn could that be? <laughs> oh yeah, no, dude, seriously. It's all I, about I, collaboration, not going <laughs> against each other, you know? Um, so now with that said, uh, I'll, I'll, I will ask you from college on because I, I have trouble remembering what I had for lunch. I cannot name three professors I had in college I can't remember. There's a good eight, ten year window. Okay, you're doing this gone. again. No, 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 Let's no, 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 no. But, but, but. You need what, a dip in your life, Jacques, just to follow you around and be what's, like. What's important is there's so many conversations that we've had over the years that happened yesterday that I can tell you what I ate at the place across the street from you. So there's so much I remember. But your story of where you are and how you've got to this point is truly mesmerizing. So. Could you start us down the path, and, and, and it can be from 10-year-old, you know, Rona getting here with her dad and um, him letting you know, in this country, you can be anything you want, anything you want, as long as you're a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so emigrated to the country when I was young and grew up outside, really, really close to Stanford University. Um, I was super fortunate enough to go to a girls boarding school uh, right next to Stanford. It was actually built um, in the uh, late 1800s. 
and we had immediate acceptance into Stanford into like the 1940s, I want to say. Uh, and it is just a fantastic, really, really educationally focused school. Uh, and I went there and I lived there and I think that helped shape who I was because when you're around women all day long and all of our teachers were women, um, you know, they show so there's so many studies that have shown that when women are product of single sex education, they ask more questions, they uh, have, you know, um, I don't know how you quantify exactly uh, professional success, but they have higher professional success. Uh, they go on to get more graduate degrees, all of that kind of stuff. And so uh, I feel like I was really, really fortunate to do that. And I loved, loved, loved my school. Unfortunately, my parents wanted me to go to Stanford, which was three quarters of a mile from my house and also like a half a mile for where I'd been for the last 10 years. Uh, I was 16 years old and I was like, peace out. I applied early decision to Barnard at Columbia and I got in and uh, I, I basically bounced really early on. <laughs> and so moving to New York City, I think I was 17 when I moved, moving to New York City was just amazing. And just having that access to really everything was, was so eye-opening and such the exact experience I was looking for for my collegiate experience. And so that was wonderful. I loved, loved, loved college. Um, I was class president, school president, all of that. I was very Tracy Flick-esque from election. Um, no, not that bad. Yeah. Well, but like, uh, it was just different clicks. So I was like, at the same time I was class president, I was also on the crew team and I would also go clubbing with all of the really some of the first names in, in drag. So like Hedda Lettuce and uh, Lady Bunny and all those people like, I would go clubbing with them when I was 17 years old. My hair was down on my butt. I would do a lot of hair art. So I do like mm. um, bird cages with my hair, oh. like fake birds in there. I did Medusa hair a lot. I did Mohawks, like stuff like that. And we'd go clubbing and, you know, Moby would be DJing at, a, at the club before he was like famous and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, I love, love, loved it. But like, I am one of those people who, if I have two things to do, they won't get done. But if I have a hundred things to do, they'll all get done. And so um, I graduated in three years from college, uh, not because I planned to, but just because they're like, hey, you already finished. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Cause I was taking 20 units a semester. And so there I was like 19 years old in New York city, college degree, just run around. Um, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I worked in a law firm for a couple of years and applied to law school. And very quickly, I realized I did not want to be a lawyer. I thought it was going to be LA law and then I would get to have sex with Blair Underwood. And it was not <laughs> like that, you know? Um, it was a lot of reading and just sitting in a room. And I think it's the, you know, the dichotomy between what you think it's going to be and what it actually is. Um, and I knew that I liked to like interact with people and talk with people. And so it was a real challenge. And on a whim, I had been taking an adjunct um, business school class that they had let me to do as a, as a law student. And um, I, on a whim, applied to the business school. And I took the GMATs, I think, that night and scored a 99th percentile. Nice. And so I was already within the school. They kind of worked with me a little bit. And so they allowed me to do uh, business school simultaneously with law school. This wow. was at USC. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah. It, that's that's crazy. Yeah. And so I had actually gone into law school at Columbia 
Um, but I didn't want to go because I knew I wanted to be in entertainment and I have no family in entertainment. I have no connections. And so I came out to USC for that purpose. I knew I want to do it. And I thought, I thought it was going to be entertainment law, but life has a way of uh, stepping in. So when I was in business school, I had three adjunct professors. Uh, all of them were from entertainment companies. They, um, were, uh, Burlstein, Ray, AMG and CAA. And all three of my adjunct professors pulled me aside and were like, you are an agent. So come work for me. <laughs> and so that's eventually what I did. Even though I had a law degree, I went and I, I worked at um, some of the agencies. My favorite was when I went to CAA and was in the mailroom there. My father was like, um, and I, I mean, it's a really coveted position. It's hard to get into that mailroom. And my father, my immigrant father was like, uh, you work in mailroom? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, is mailroom code for something? And I was like, no, Dad, I deliver mail. He goes, you forgot to tell them you Ivy League JD MBA. Tomorrow, you agent. And I was like, yeah, that's that's not how it works. But I uh, toiled away in that process before. And then I got promoted eventually. Uh, was an agent for a while on the unscripted side. Then I segued. I was a manager on the scripted side. Did a lot of animation i represented simon and schuster tokyo pop um uh, harper collins like a lot in the book to film and television world i also represented um like the story teams behind family guy and uh king of the hill and all those fun adult animation series uh and while i was there i represented like i said simon and schuster and I had this one book that no one would buy. It was called Sippy Cups Are Far for Chardonnay. I'm sorry, Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay. And it was like a first time mom writing a book about like the stuff that you don't know about, like it's basically mean girls about moms, like these mommy clicks and like how they basically dominate. No one was buying it. And I was like, they're stupid. And so I developed it out with a writer and we sold it in the room to NBC. And I was like, wait, is this producing? Cause like, <laughs> like this very much. And so I segued into producing. And um, when I was working in law, I was making like, I think $160,000 a year. And I gave that job up to make 375 an hour at CAA. <laughs> um, and then I worked up my way to being an agent and, and making money again. And I gave up a six figure job uh, to go work as a, the, the guy that I was working for only had the budget for an assistant. So he had like a $40,000 budget. And I was like, I will take your 40,000. And I negotiated that, uh, I had to be in every single pitch meeting. I had to be in every external meeting. And what that got me was entry into rooms that I probably shouldn't have been in like really high level rooms with like heads of networks. And as a result of such, I built an incredible network of contacts that I still really, really rely upon to this day. Um, and uh, and that's what segmented me into producing. And I never looked back. That was about 12 years ago now. And I think I've produced over 100, 100 150 hours of, of television. No, 300 hours, because I had to get 300 hours to get into the PGA, I think. So I can't remember, but I've produced hundreds of hours of, of uh, uh, television, been nominated for a bunch of daytime Emmys, been nominated um, for a couple of other awards. And, uh, 
I'm so fortunate because I go to my reunions now for both business school and law school and people just talk about the stuff they do. And I'm like, oh, I had an hour long brainstorm about monkeys. <laughs> like, <laughs> monkeys do on television, you know? And I truly feel like I won. If there's a way to win at life, I, I won because oh, I get yeah. to do what I truly, truly love. And I'm only limited by my, uh, uh, imagination and my, you know, uh, laziness, <laughs> like those are the only limitations. So if I want to try and do something like there's really no stopping me from pursuing that, which I love. So, so some of the conversations that I remember, I forget what place I first met you in. It was a tiny Tijuana. Tijuana. And that yeah. was, it was in Playa, it was in Playa Vista. El Segundo. El Segundo. Okay. Cause it was right near my house. It was great for me because I am, I am the hardest working lazy person you will know. <laughs> like there, there's, there's so much I'll pour in, but like, Oh, if I got to get in the car and drive somewhere, it's just a daunting thing. So that was great. But I've seen you go from point A to point B to point C to point D back to point C and then to point F. And some of the conversations that I love, I remember we had a meeting and you had just talked to the people at Netflix. It was before uh, they rolled out their Marvel universe on, oh. on Netflix. And and I think you said you out you out you you geeked yourself out of a job because they were like, oh, we're thinking about this and this and this person, and they were talking about putting the defenders together. And you're like, yeah, but I really think the Punisher Okay, okay, okay is... wait, now you're telling her story. No, no, yeah. no, I'm, no, 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 I'm, you're oh, telling I her story. It's a good story, I can tell the story. Yeah, so, I right. want you to tell the story because you know what? Everybody hears this guy way too much every week. We'd rather hear you. No, 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 but I want to make sure that I'm getting it straight before I'm asking the question. So how wrong or right did I get that? No, you're pretty good. Like what the, uh, the story was is I got approached by Netflix to come and interview for a job. And it was very surreal because they did not tell me what the job was. They sent me like uh, the first round was just with like their HR. And then the second round was also with their HR, but they, they give me the full Netflix deck, which is like quite a sight to behold. And then the third round interview was for the person that I, I was going to be working for. And in preparation for the interview, I watched, um, you know, uh, Chef's Table, which was really their only non-scripted show. And I'd been doing non-scripted at that point for about 10 years. So I was watching all their non-scripted programming. And so then I have this interview and within the first two minutes, I am told that it is a scripted position that I'm being, uh, that I'm currently interviewing for, and that it is for, uh, and she starts asking me a couple of questions. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I, I, she was asking me about Marvel and like, how am I into like gaming culture? And I was like, is this for the defenders? And she was like, yes. Are you familiar with the brand? Do you know them? And I was like, well, obviously. But I think you and I can both discuss how, frankly, it does not make sense for Iron Fist to be included and Tony Stark to not be included. Because as we know, Iron Fist's power comes from a different alternate dimension that is otherworldly. However, Tony Stark's is all based on terrestrial science that we currently are aware of. So technically, and so I go into this whole spiel. She interrupts me and she's like, so I can say it's safe that you're familiar with. <laughs> I was like, uh, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> no, that, and, and of all the amazing things, it's funny because talking to you 
it's like you know the, the the athlete like a Bo Jackson who yeah if he just stuck with one of the other sports would be great and you think it's like what he missed out on the other side you've done so much but there's all these great things that you're like yeah that's not right for me where so many other people would have been okay I pledge my first board um I don't want to mention a, a certain outlet by any names but there was also one of my favorite stories is uh you were up for a very huge position but you didn't oh. think <laughs> you didn't think the world really needed another nine ghost hunting shows in which they never catch a ghost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can name it. It was sci-fi. I was in my last interview for sci-fi and they were uh, we were talking about all their programming. And I was talking about some of the new shows that they had at that time. It was like Marcel's Quantum Kitchen, which I really like just really extending the brand out in different areas. And they're like, that's great. But like, what about our bread and butter shows, the ghost hunting shows? And I was like, yeah, I don't watch those. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I know how every episode ends. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, have you got a ghost? <laughs> so I did not get that job offer. But I don't think that's you a want shock. That. I mean, yeah. with your attitude, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's that was not perceived as enthusiasm. Really, really. Well, talk about enthusiasm. After the Netflix gig, I actually, there was going to be, I think, seven rounds of interviews for that one. And by the time I hit the third round, they'd already like offered someone, someone else had gone through the process. And so I thanked them for their time. And then after I watched The Punisher, I called that same executive who I was interviewing with. And I was like, I just made some notes, like from a fan's perspective, like, would you like them by chance? And she was like, no, that's a hard pass. And I was oh. like, okay, well, I just thought I would check, you know. <laughs> he doesn't I, quite look like he's supposed to, and also these other things, but whatever, we're cool, we're cool, we're cool. Uh, you know, uh, to sidebar, which is what I specialize in, uh, did you like the Daredevil? Because I absolutely, absolutely, that's probably top 10 favorite TV shows for me. I love, because he's always been my favorite Marvel guy, him and Thor, growing up were always my two favorite Marvel characters. Well, I mean, what I like about the Defenders overall, same reason I, I like the Spider-Man storylines, they're not all about world domination and the planet exploding. Do you know right. what I mean? And so like, that's one of the things I loved about that. It felt like realistic is a hard word to use in this scenario, but it felt almost realistic. Whereas your, your suspension of disbelief doesn't need to be on high to kind of buy into those defender stories, right? right? Whereas, again, with the exception of, I would say, Iron Fist, but the other ones, like the Marvel, you know, what the MCU is kind of known for is that really big over the top. And it's like, you kind of get fatigued. Like how many times is the world, the whole world gonna be under threat? Like, I love that it's just like, for Spider-Man, it's like a guy fencing shit and like how that, you know, right, becomes right. like the, the problem that he's facing versus an entire colony of aliens who want to blow everything up. Well, so. yeah, like, 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 you know, uh, and again, you know, Daredevil, his day job's a lawyer. So I figured you would like that. Yeah. But Daredevil, you know, they made a, they made a lot of casting allowances based on what he was supposed to look like versus what he ended up looking like. So I think, I actually think he ended up being really, really good for it. But when you immediately see it, like, that's not who I thought. Uh, I thought they did a great job with Luke Cage. I thought, you know, I think, I think Cage was still great. Yeah, keep going. So uh, wait, can, can I but, ask you something then? You kind of you touched on something earlier. Do you consider like Avengers Endgame just a little too much? I, I was not a fan, personally. It was sensory overload to like the umpteenth degree. 
like what I liked about was the was the blip and like the coming like that element of the storyline I, I I liked you know and that was interesting but like it was just a little bit too much it's always so much you know and so uh but I liked it because it was also like we got to see Dr. Strange in there and like he wasn't really integrated in the other ones and so that was fun but eh. just an observation know. because one person in this uh this conversation thinks it's on par with you know Empire Strikes Back so yeah yeah, no, I, 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 I've had this long thing. I, I will, I will, un, it's unlikely I will see a moment in film that makes me feel the way when Captain caught Mjolnir. Like, but, like, but that's the thing. It's like, I don't think it even compares to like Civil War. Captain America Civil War is a phenomenal movie. So phenomenal great. movie. Like, and it has all those action elements and it has so much more. I would argue Iron Man Iron Man 2 also I would say is like really, really strong. The truth is I got tingles when I saw the first Avengers, especially when they do that first group. The, three, the, the 360 on like, the bridge. Oh my yeah. God, like yeah. total lady boner. But like the Avengers movies are some of the weakest in actually the MCU universe in my opinion. Yeah, I, I um, did not like, I did not love Ultron, but I, I like parts of it and funny things. Yeah. But but yeah, that one shot where Captain, because it was 21 movies leading up to that shot, but but that's, everybody's different, but yeah. And, again, and having now been exposed to like a, a I always get his name wrong, uh, Taiko Waktiki. Oh, like sorry. I want him to direct Every everything, 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 you know, yep. it was like female empowerment and not like fake female empowerment. Like I just watched, um, uh, black widow. So and great. Like, oh, wait, no snake eyes. I just watched snake eyes. Totally different. I understand for GI Joe. But what I hated was like, they purported to be very feminist. They have like a female matriarch running the yakuza which is like ooh, so different and then you know they have all these like the head of security is a female but then when they come to fighting they're all in these like slutty outfits and like terrible like thor ragnarok didn't have any of that the valkyrie were like fucking badasses they didn't sexualize them you know uh same thing when you're talking about wonder woman when you see wonder woman versus when wonder woman and the amazons were inside of the justice league movie they were dressed like whores they had them in like bikinis as the warriors whereas the patty jenkins directed one they had body armor you right, know what I mean? right. Again, those little elements so thor ragnarok i thought was everything humor uh heart uh that element of like the avengers because there was more than one um and just great acting like jeff goldblum is it's like Jeff Goldblum was amazing. Yeah, he was the bloomiest he's ever been, and it's that was one of the movies. I I remember one other time I saw Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, and I walked out and didn't like it. And I didn't like Ragnarok the first time I saw it. I didn't like it, but over the next like couple weeks, I'm quoting and I'm thinking about it, and I go back. Ellen loved it, you know, absolutely loved it from day one. And then I watched it. I'm like, I didn't like how goofy some things were, but the more I've watched it, which is let's say more than twice <laughs> I've, I've come to really love it i've actually really love it but i i i i literally i don't remember another time in a movie that's that one moment upset me more 
than when Mjolnir got busted. And I'm like, honestly, every everything that kept my fragile world together just shattered when Mjolnir was busted. And it's like, but it did. But Tiki, everything he's done, like whether it's been in the Star Wars universe, Jojo Rabbit, you go down the list and it's like- uh, Unbelievable. He, he is yeah. so, and I mean, when I first heard, oh, it's a Nazi comedy. And I was like, I'm sorry. Are you on crack cocaine? Because those two words do not go together. And you don't even understand how that could be feasible. And like, who would even dare touch something like that? But he did it. And he's able to be thought provoking and funny and insightful and heartful and like all of it. Like personally, I'm a huge what we do in the shadows fan. Oh, so good. Not that that, especially coming from the reality world, when they again that one liner of like, oh, it's a faux reality house show about a bunch of vampires who live together i was like well this is idiotic and then you watch it and you're like oh man this Best is thing. <laughs> everything he does he was he was like new zealand citizen of the year like a couple years ago and and he did a psa like really espouting how important it is to keep racism going in new zealand and it's like a Nazi comedy, you know, type thing. It's one of these things where it's so smart and it's so over the top. And he's like, look, it's really your response. You got to look it up. But he's talking about how these, you know what? If somebody makes a joke and you laugh at it, you know, it's like, you really got to, if you want racism to keep going, it's important that you do your part to not correct somebody when, when you know they're stepping out of bounds. And it was, but it was one of those things where, yeah, it was just brilliant. And, and provoking, but now getting back to brilliant provoking your career, how many shows, so that's what you didn't do. You didn't take the sci-fi thing. You, you, you didn't go down the Marvel path uh, with, with Netflix, but you did go down so many other paths. What are some of your favorite shows that you've done? And do you have any idea how many shows you either produced, pitched, option that went from somebody's head, your head onto TV? Um, geez, I would say I've been involved on a executive level for at least 25 series, um, some of which went for 300 episodes, some of which went for six episodes. I think the one that means the most to me um, is a show that only ran one season. It was called The Transition on TLC. And the reason I love that show was there were so many elements to it that like it shouldn't have been on the air. Uh, first of all, when I, the idea came to me and it was about um, trans couples, a, a, a couple featuring pres who presents as a traditional cis hetero couple in which one of them is trans and is finally coming out to their partner who they've been with for, in all of our cases, was about 20 plus years. And how does that affect the love, the relationship and the marriage dynamic when the person that you love and you've shared your life with tells you that they're in the wrong body? Now it's the same person, but is it the same person? Like, so it was really about showing transition from a different side because all I could think about was the shows that we see, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is not, is not really the face of, of the trans movement because she's a woman of privilege. 
who was welcomed with open arms into this, you know, and has so much money and power and a voice that it's just not, it's not fair and it's not true to the experience. And so what I wanted to show was like, how do you make people who don't, who believe it's like a life choice and not something beyond that, people who would not normally listen or look for this content, how do I make those people aware of it? And you do it by casting people who look and live their lives. So half of my cast was former military. These are all blue collar. None of them were like, one was from San Diego, but the rest were all from like, you know, middle of America, really kind of small town. And they looked like what you would think the, you know, red state or middle of the country would look like. And you saw how hard it was for them and what that meant for them and and to see that. And so that really, really affected me. And we used to get hundreds and hundreds of emails from people being like, I was thinking about killing myself, or I had no idea that I could actually stay with my family and, and live my authentic life. And, and I actually cast that show personally. And it took me almost a year. And I would have like three, four hour conversations with these, these people, some of whom I was the only person that they had ever told that they were trans to. And so wow. it was really, really so, you know, both gratifying, but also I really felt that there was a gravitas to the show because I knew that it could be handled in a very sensationalistic way. And I knew that we didn't want to treat it like that. We wanted to treat it like a love story. And so that's really what it was. And I am so proud of that show. I'm so upset it didn't get picked up because it really, I think it just really affected people's perceptions in such a positive way. And I was so proud to be a part of that. And I felt so connected to our cast as well. So I was really, I'm indebted to them for, for willing to like open up their lives. That whole crew was amazing on that show as well. So that's what I, I feel the most, you know, uh, and connected with um but then it's always fun too that when you get to work on a cross-section of shows so i did everything from like marriage rescue with john taffer yelling at people to <laughs> you know ridiculous cakes where we're just showing people making crazy crazy cakes you know yeah. so uh i love the ability to do that kind of different type of programming I remember you you had a couple wedding, this is long before you got married. You're like, yeah, I got two wedding dress shows on now. They won a third and I'm never wearing a wedding dress. I'm the wrong person to develop wedding dress shows, but the two I have on the air now are doing great. And somehow they want to make a third out of this BS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, again, that was like uh, those shows, all of those ideas have all been sparked. So like the transition show, it was smart because I was talking to um, a friend, uh, Jenny Boylan, very well-known trans activist, a professor, a best-selling New York Times author. And she was telling a story about how um, she, the diamond like fell out of her wife's wedding ring. And I made some mention about like, you know, uh, her wife being gay. And she's like, no, my wife is straight. And I'm like, wait, your wife is a straight woman but she's married to a woman. And she was like, yeah, well, we got married when I was a man. And then when I transitioned, we, we stayed together. And so I was like, and that's what sparked the idea for that show, for something borrowed, something new, which ran for like a hundred episodes. 
what sparked it was every person I knew who wanted to get married, their moms would whip out these crusty old Princess Diana poofy dresses and were like, I have the perfect gown for you. And no one wants to wear that, but they like the idea of it. So taking a dress and like reforming a new dress out of that kind of became a trend. And I was like, that's what sparked that idea. We had producing partners on that, but like the original show, actually, that's a good story. The original show was about um, uh, celebrities and red carpet. And what we pitched was that uh, instead of celebrities getting a whole new gown for a red carpet, this was kind of like a green show. We would have designers go in there tear up existing gowns that they had to make up a brand new gown and that they would the winner would would see their new gown walk on the runway and tlc the executive there to his credit matt sims came back and was like we like the process we like the reveal we like the idea of someone like ripping that dress but someone who wears it on a red carpet there's not that same emotional residency um and then i was like well what about if we do it for wedding dresses and they were like absolutely and honestly the truth of it is I think I got stoned and watched Love It or List It and was like, <laughs> you could do that for wedding dresses. And I was like, oh shit, you could do that for wedding dresses. And so <laughs> we just copied Love It or List It for wedding dresses. And ironically, after the show was in like the third season or something, or uh, second season, the Love It or List It people were like, this is just our fucking show with wedding dresses. And I was like, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> and it's a small world so you see all those same people. Is there yeah. a show that like, that move forward that you're like, please don't get picked up. Please don't get picked up. Please don't get picked up. Oh crap. I got to go work on this now. No. Cause like I've never worked on a show that I wasn't excited about. It's so hard to sell shows right. that I can't imagine taking on a show that I wasn't like obsessed with seeing on air. You know, I think that executives can tell when you are pitching versus when you are like, begging them to put something on so that you can watch it you know and i think that that passion really really comes through and uh i'd say a good 30 percent of the shows that i have pitched and got on air were shows that people told me not to pitch agents whomever because they're like oh this has been done or this has been pitched and i was like no no no, i live this world i love these shows what i'm telling you has not been made and let me tell you what's different and I've made it through. Like those are the shows that I've, I've, I can't tell you how many development deals I've gotten for shows where people were like, well, that sounds totally not right for us. And I was like, let me explain, you know? And so it's been great. And honestly, it's been one of the most challenging elements of COVID is that we have to pitch remotely. And there is just this automatic distance between you and people that you've worked with for, these are colleagues that I've pitched to for 10, 15 years, some of them. And we have such a wonderful shorthand. And frankly, the energy is just different when you're in a room. People are focused on you, you know? I'm theoretically looking at you, but I could be texting right now. I could be emailing you. You can't really do that in those meetings. And and, and that, that 20 to 40 minutes of coned, you know, intense collaboration is what yields wonderful results. Like I said, it's not like I went in with the idea for something borrowed, something new. Producing partners came to us. I got feedback. Then, you know, there was a, an epiphany moment and then it came through. Like that's how a lot of these shows work. And when you don't have that personal interaction with the executives, I think it really um, has been detrimental to 
at least personally for me, it's been really a lot more challenging to pitch, you know, no, soul shows, but it's, it's not been the same. I'm, I, I'm old and I'm old for my age where it's like, yeah, I love being in a room. It's just completely different. You know, I've watched lots of stand up zoom things from, from comedians. I love it's nothing close to being in the same room or something like same with concerts. Here's a, here's a question I've been thinking of the two part question. Does absolutely everybody think their life could be a reality show? And two, couldn't everybody's life pretty much be a reality show? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, being funny or being difficult or being super smart is not the same as being engaging. So you can be the most at something. And so people will tell you, I'm like, oh my God, you're so smart or oh my God, you're so pretty or oh my God. That is nowhere near as important as being engaging. And for the unscripted side, being able to forget that the cameras are there. I am an unscripted executive. I have, like I said, worked on thousands of hours, executive produced hundreds of hours. And even now when I have to sit and stand in and just do like a mic check or something, I'm always like, um, hello? Uh, and I love <laughs> making people listen to me. I love being the center of attention, but having a camera in your face and having the ability to not register it, to still be yourself, to still do whatever you do, that is a skill and not many people possess it. And so not everyone can have a reality show because uh, there's a reason why networks don't care about meeting talent in the room, the first meeting. Cause like, I don't care if they're wonderful in the room. If they're not good on tape, it doesn't matter. So that's why you have to go in with tape to be like, this is what they're like. Even if it's a Zoom, even if I'm like asking you pointed directions, how you engage, how you respond, all of that is what makes a difference. And so not everyone can be a reality star, first of all. And then secondly, um, does everyone think that they can be a reality star? No, but everyone has a pitch. Everyone has an idea for a reality show. And I can't tell you, how many times I got pitched a uh, real screen is our annual conference. We have it in DC. It used to be in DC in January and then uh, uh, Santa Monica in June, the January one changes locations now, but for like a five day period in J January, every year in Washington, DC, I think the Ubers and the cab drivers knew I would get pitched a reality oh. show and every single Uber I took. And because they'd be like, oh, you're worth the conference. Okay. So I took some notes from the last ride and here's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, what is happening? You know? Uh, but yeah, every single person has a reality show pitch. That's why when we're on location or go someplace, when they ask you, what are you working on? An insurance commercial. That's our like standard answer yeah. for everything. Just working on an insurance commercial. No one wants a follow-up question. <laughs> no. Like, no one they didn't ask has... you, is Flo going to be there? No. <laughs> is there a gecko involved? No. Uh, oh. No one's even, no one's even got that far. People are like, oh, insurance, you know? So you're like, okay, great. I, I thought, you know, next time you're in over. No, I, I, I'm just the waitress at the, why are you dressed so nice? Uh, it, it's corporate. I don't know. <laughs> just, you know, that's gotta be the most, I mean, first of all, um, has anybody pitched you shows more than me or do I have the record? Like I, 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 I got it. I got to have the title. You, oh. No, no, no. You pitched the most 
of the same shows. Yeah, like, no, so, mops. You will repitch me the same shows. I but mean, they're great ideas. I just, they are. I thought, thought maybe I you just didn't that. get, maybe I didn't explain it right the first time. <laughs> Let me try again. No, but you know what, Jacques? The reason I still take your calls and haven't blocked you <laughs> is because they are still good ideas. And our business is so cyclical. It's never a question of, is that a good idea? It's, is this the right time for a show like that? And so I have a show that's um, went straight to series at HGTV, no development, no production. I pitched it to them a year and a half ago and they passed. And then I repitched it a year and a half later, straight to series. Did that show change? Nothing, nothing changed about that show. The timing, what the network needed, what the network was open to, that changes. And so, yes, there are some bad ideas floating around there. But again, for reality, everything's a thought starter. You can still build out of that. It's still know. like a you know framework, right? Um, and so, uh, I have no problems with you know pitch away, my friend. Oh, now, oh. now has the advert like when I started pitching you, I mean, it wasn't just the four networks, you know, there was lots of cable, but how much has the, the streaming thing expanded? Because now all those streaming things, you know, Netflix was just movies, you know, on DVD, you know, being mailed to you, but now they have tons of documentaries and series. All of them have reality shows now. Are, are, I mean, is it opening up the markets or is it just the same kind of stuff? No, I mean, there's a, a ton of buyers now, like as you indicated, um, Netflix became a major, major player very, very quickly. Uh, right now, IMDb is buying for Amazon, you know what I mean? So like Amazon's going to have like super premium stuff and then IMDb is going to be like basically their cable shows, you know, um, you obviously got Disney Plus and Disney Plus is doing stuff that's different than anyone else. Like the stuff that you see on Disney Plus right now, that's not what Disney Plus is doing. That's what they bought to put on the air. But their unscripted launch is going to be probably Q3 2022 uh, of their actual programming. And it really pushes the genre, pushes the form. It's very different than what we've seen. It comes from a scripted point of view. Um, and so what's exciting is not only are there more buyers, they're doing different things. They're open to differentiation. So that part is cool. Um, but then again, it's a double-edged sword. So like before I could pitch E and I could pitch Bravo and I could pitch USA. And if they all made offers, I could leverage those offers against one another. Now I pitch one Peacock executive who then decides if they like it and then decides if it goes to E, USA, lives on wow. Peacock or goes to E. And what that does is it reduces my leverage. I don't have as much leverage because there is a consolidation that reduces the number of buyers. And as a result, independents just don't have that much leverage. And so there, there, therein lies a big challenge, I would say. Um, I'm trying to think what else in terms of like the big buyers. The other thing is that I'm trying to think. And then that can help you sometimes. So I have a project right now with Food Network. Magnolia also really, really likes it. You know, the conversations have been like, oh, well, if food passes, we'll pick it up. And so like, that's a wonderful synergy to have because I still have a show, but you know, if it doesn't work out the original network, they've got another avenue for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think anytime there's a new player in town, it gets people excited, you know, and it, it just 
fires up stuff. And I would say, you know, the last year that hasn't been Netflix. That was really been, I think, Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus has been on a buying spree. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, once they merge with Warner, what that looks like. I mean, talk about a major, major network group. As is now, if I'm pitching Discovery Plus, I am pitching TLC, Discovery, Animal Planet, ID, Great American Heroes, like uh, Destination. Like we got seven or eight networks that fall under that umbrella. You're going to add another six networks to that. You know what I mean? And so it's going to be like this huge thing. Um, One of the challenges with consolidation, I will say, uh, not that you asked me, is that um, you're, like I mentioned, you're filtering it through the one person now. And so you don't have that person who's just like, I am mad about HGTV and I speak it backwards and forwards and inside and out. And so part of my fear is that you have kind of a dilution of brands that will happen because they all maybe kind of look like each other because they're all being programmed by the same person, uh, people. But, um, but hopefully not. We'll see. Well, that's what happened to music 20 years ago. You used to have regional things and stuff like that. And you would look this, this top 40 in the West was anyway, but yeah, it, it does. And what do you think the turnover rate is? Because when you were saying, I pitched the same thing, there's been a couple times where you've been like, Hey, remember the show that we talked about then the guy has left here, but the new person just called and said, I'm looking for X, Y, and C. And even though you took something into a room with like, if it's history and the history team, is it about a two year, three year? What is a turnover at those, at those things, generally speaking? Purely anecdotally speaking, I would say that 50% of the executives that I work with uh, work for their, for their one term, their one contractual term. So that might be a two year term. It might be a two plus one. It might be a three year, but I'd say 50% of the executives I work with only serve one contractual term. Why, why is that? I'm kind of curious in terms of why are they in such short terms and not like, you know, oh, why they're so short terms? Like that's not that short of a term, you know, one plus one, two plus one. Those are the, but I mean, you know, for like regular jobs, right? People go into regular jobs and they don't have, you know, it's not that routine to have people yeah. kind of high up in the food chain only be there for that kind of a time. So, you know, I don't know. I will say that like, I had a friend who I, she's phenomenally smart. I, I now in retrospect, see how prescient she was, but like at the time I was like, you crazy girl. Cause she was, um, uh, she'd been offered a position as an EVP for NBC, like fucking that's a jackpot. Right. And she was into negotiations and I was like, what are you still negotiating? She's like, oh, I'm negotiating my title. I'm like, well, I hate to bring it to you, honey, but they're not going to make you president of NBC. <laughs> and she was like, cause in my mind, you're always trying to negotiate up. She was trying to negotiate an SVP title. She wanted her title to be lowered uh, going in. And I was like, why on earth would you do that? She goes, oh, because my contract's a three-year. They're not going to renew me. Like, no one ever, you know, very few, you know, they're not going to renew me. So then when I'm out in three years, it's really hard to get EVP jobs. But if I'm an SVP, I can interview for VP. I can interview for SVP. I can interview for EVP. Now, she launched some huge shows, was like a big deal three years to the day they did not renew her contract and she left and so in retrospect now I was like oh my god you're so smart and she wasn't able to get I mean she was actually kind of done with the industry at that point but still as an EVP it's 
very difficult to find positions because people don't even want to interview you for an SVP position or a VP position. So they'll think, oh, you're never going to take it. But that's just the nature of the business. Like it's just, you have a lot of turnover. And part of the reason is that there is such a phenomenal amount of consolidation with our industry right now. Again, so when we talk about yesterday, the news broke that Henry Schleif is returning, uh, uh, retiring and Kevin is leaving. These are two of the biggest guys at ID discovery networks. They oversaw like, you know, one or two networks. Well, Henry was over two networks. Yeah. So are they bringing in a new person? No, they're having the TLC person now add ID under their realm. And then the other TLC person is now over travel channel and another channel. So again, they have then consolidated that that one body is no longer needed. It's a redundancy in their opinion. I would argue those aren't redundancies that you can't just keep consolidating, consolidating and expect the same level of creative output. It just doesn't work like that. Um, I will also tell you that there's high turnover because of some of my exec friends are just like, F this, you know, like before I'd say probably 10 years ago, network jobs were like the most coveted jobs. It was like cush, cushy and um, you got made good money, you made the decisions, you know, it was very sexy. And now they are not coveted positions because they have no stability like they used to, you know? And so um, it's, a, it's a different landscape. And also network execs don't get paid that great, you know? And so wow. if you're not getting paid at, unless you're at the EVP or higher level, right. you're doing okay, but your production counterparts are probably making more. 50% to a hundred percent more than what you Wow. Yeah. No, and it's crazy. I've been in a situation where I was producing something for the UFC and just talking to a couple of the fighters, it's like, so I'm making more and I'm not getting punched in the face. And I always just thought, yeah, it's just weird. Um, I make, you- I make double what I think probably any of my network SVP friends make. And you love it. Maybe um, don't include that. Maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make an edit. No. Did you, did you, so, so 2020 has sucked for everybody, but I think one of the perks you like best about what you do is you like to travel and, yeah. and, and your job has got you basically traveling everywhere. What's the favorite places you've gone to travel for work? And what's a place that's like, please don't send me back to Jackson, Mississippi. Please don't send me back to Jackson. Is there a place that you don't want to have to go back for a shoot? And what is the, your place you've gone that you like the best oh it's gonna be really uh shocking much like people like jacques yourself included i love it when something isn't what i expect it to be and so that's the places that i've had the most fun at so um our company is headquartered in minnesota i had a very biased and incorrect uh, uh, assumption of what Minnesota was going to be like. Minnesota is one of the most beautiful places, super friendly people. I mean, it's just fantastic. And I never would have thought, I mean, I, I would live in Minnesota, uh, except for winter. And so like, which is nine months of the year, (laughs) seven. Uh, so that's been wonderful. Um, I, uh, recently just shot a pilot for food network in Salt Lake. Loved it. Salt Lake is Never would have thought that I would have loved it so much, but again, loved it, loved it, loved it. 
Um, and then I'm shooting something in Louisville, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And like, you know, again, there's elements I don't enjoy about it, but like the fact that everyone's like, your name is what? And I'm like, yes, it's, it's Ronak, yes, Kurdistani. I don't even tell them that my middle name is Khosrowi because then they'll just be like, you know, on that white devil. Uh, but yeah, so, um, but you know, even there, I love it because as opposed to like Los Angeles, everyone is so friendly. So it's really hard to like not have a, a, a pleasant experience or to walk away from something with a pleasant experience. Um, I would say the place that I liked the least to shoot was Atlanta. Interesting. Yeah. Just gross. They, Humidity, <laughs> oh, yeah. Gross. Everything. Just hated it. So you've, in the time I've known you and been working with you, you you've gone from you've worked at a couple different places. Uh, there was about a six month window where you between a couple places and we actually developed stuff together. That was super fun. But where you are now, correct me if I'm wrong, this seems like the happiest you've been in a place. You, I oh, think yeah. you really, re the way you talk about where you currently are versus I'm here now and it looks good because I'm gonna go over there. But, yeah. but where you are now, you seem really, really happy. You know, it's uh, it's not that complicated a formula when you put together people that are good people, enable them to do their jobs and let them do their jobs with like some oversight, but not micromanaging, not anything else. And when you when you and again, this is all a testament to my CEO, when your primary goal for your company is to make it a pleasant place to work rather than someplace to make money, you will always have an incredibly loyal uh, workforce. And that's exactly what she's done. And, you know, we've had so many scenarios where I know other people I've worked for would like pocket that money or not share that information. And my CEO just doesn't operate like that. And frankly, as someone who came from the agency side of things, I had, it took me a minute because I'd be like, hey, you just told them the truth. What's your angle? What's up? What's <laughs> and she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, right, 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 right. Okay. I'm going to have to think this through, you know? And so it was just a, a different way of thinking. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and be sexist right now, but I think it's because we are not only independently owned, like we don't answer to a, a big, you know, conglomerate, um, but that we are female owned and operated and that every department head other than finance is head by, headed by a woman. And I, I do think that makes a difference. And it's a place where work-life balance is, it's the only place where I've gotten a review and my review was, we're going to need you to work a little less uh, because we don't want you to burn out. We don't want other people to burn out. Like, you should go home more. And I'm like, again, what? What's happening? Here? What are you really? Uh, and when you're at a place like that, it's not about the money. Like you want them to succeed because you want more places like that to exist, you know, where uh, again, I don't need to oversee my my staff and, and have them check in with me every minute because I know they're good at what they do and they know that I trust them to do what they're doing. And so, again, I really think that that feeds into it. And, you know, when I left to go to that other company, I think we even talked about it. I yeah. knew I was not going to like that other company. And the reason I did it was 
they doubled my salary and they made me president of the company. And it was a very sexy offer. And when you're thinking about your professional trajectory, it's not about your job now. It's about what is your next job and what's that going to lead you to? And so for my purposes, it made the most sense. And I'm just fortunate that Tremendous poached me back. I will say I've been very fortunate in that. I think it's a testament to like how happy I've been at places, but um, almost every company I've ever worked at has hired me back in a different capacity. So like I was an assistant for one woman. She hired me back as a VP years later. Uh, you know, tremendous. I was the head of development. They hired me back as the head of the company. Uh, places like that, Mark Hoops, I was an assistant. He hired me back as the head of the development. Like, so I've had that situation a lot and uh, I'm very proud of it. It's something I, I, I brag about, honestly, because I think it speaks to uh, my work ethic, but also about how we're all crazy individuals. We're all type A. We don't work eight hour jobs. I work 14 hours a day. And I'm fortunate that I truly enjoy the people with whom I work, both on the network side as well as internally. And so the more pleasant you can make it, the more you can make it feel less like work. Um, uh, that's the that's the joy of it. I'm sorry, now I'm going off on a tangent. I don't remember where I- No, 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 because no, yeah. I, I dragged you down this road because I've known you for a long time. You've always been one of the, just a really fun, happy person to be around. Like I, I you know, before we've become as good friends as we are, when we were- contacts but we we almost became really good friends after our first meeting i i i feel that but you've always been really happy where you've been but this is where i i just for lack of a better term i think you just seem really at home at, at, almost at like peace type thing yeah and and, and I, I find that i i i i i love spongebob and the thing i like about best about spongebob he loves what he does like even though his boss is an ass his co-workers a dick he can't wait to get up and go to work and and i really i really have fun being around people who have fun and you've always seemed like that but over the past couple of years since going back you really seem like this is where you want to be it's not where am i going next i could be wrong maybe you're going to call oh, me later absolutely. and say hey i didn't tell you but i uh writing no, no, sky no. network let me take this opportunity to announce that i'm leaving no uh, no <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, 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 um, but I think that's one of the things that also comes with age is the certain knowledge of, again, this industry tends to type really type A um, individuals. And so you're always striving for that next thing. And I think that one of the luxuries of age and success is no longer striving for that next thing and just striving for what it is that makes you happy. Right. And so when I really reflected upon it, someone was asking me like, what is your dream job? It's like, God, my dream job would be come back, work for me as a manager of development, like to have all the fun of the creative, but like not no, deal no, no. with like payroll and like PL reports and all that. Like it's the creative. And again, I'm very fortunate in that I get to do that. But I think that the most important thing is when you empower people to do what they're supposed to do uh, and what you've hired them to do, you get good results. Like it really, like people take ownership in that. People take pride in that, you know? And so all you need to do is to cultivate that. I have a, a restaurateur that I was working with who is incredibly successful. And um, he, I think his book was called Be My Guest. And he's like, uh, 
I have tons of clients and I have to make sure that they're happy. And he's like, my clients aren't the diners at my restaurant. My clients are my employees. Because if I make them happy, they make my, they make the restaurant, you know, the restaurant goers happy. So like, that's who I have to focus on. And I think that well-run companies understand that, you know, if you look at a Google, they became an incoming business, like an incoming call business. They don't need to go out and recruit. People are dying to work for them because people, it has been known, it has been made known and made public. It's a good place to work that where people value your input and treat you like an adult and a human, you know? And so that-, that Bring in your dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All that good stuff. Yeah. Can, can you, so so if you have, and, and not that kids or anything, listen to advice, somebody wants to get where you are in the next 10 years. What what are your suggestions? Do you, do you ever go and speak at schools or, yeah. or like, and what, what do you tell them are like some of the most important things to do, don't, et cetera? It kind of depends on what you think your ultimate goal is, right? And so one of the things I ask is like, do you want to be wearing a suit or do you want to be physically making shows? Like those are the, that's the first big question, right? And so if you are a physical production person, like either you want to eventually become a showrunner or a director or something of that ilk, I say you start as a PA and you work your way up. I had a PA who I hired as a PA. She was so freaking good. We promoted her to AP within the course of the season by the next season, we made her a field producer, which is like crazy fast. And then within two years, she was show running uh, short form, but she was show running to go from a PA to show running in like two and a half years is like ludicrous, but totally feasible. If you are, again, work really, really hard and, and show what you're, you know, what you're willing to do. It's really comes down to that. Like, what are you willing to do? And I don't mean like naughty stuff. I mean, like, are you willing to spend that extra two hours to go find a, uh, the right breast pump for the talent so that the talent feels comfortable and, and says something nice to the producers about you? You know, like that's the kind of stuff. And the stuff that you don't have to be told to do, the stuff that you're like, put me in coach, I'm ready, I'm ready, you know? If you wanna go the other route or even better, if you don't quite know what you wanna do, I would say working at an agency is the best possible education that you can get. It is truly an apprenticeship. And for those of the listeners that don't know, when you're uh, when you're an assistant at an agency, you sit on an agent's desk and you literally listen to every single phone call that they are on. So what you learn is like, who's, whose calls are they answering? There's a pecking order. Why are they answering those calls? Oh, that's a distributor. What does that mean? Why aren't they returning the talent's call first? Oh, because they need to get an answers from the distributor to tell the talent. And, the, you know, and you kind of just learn what that process is. Agencies are almost like the hub and all the elements are the spokes. Now, agents also think that they are the center of the universe. So that makes sense in that analogy. But the truth is, is you are learning how all the pieces fit together and how it comes together, whether that's television, whether that's books, whether that's digital entertainment, whether whatever that is, you are learning it there. And if you put in your time at an agency and really, and what that means is like, if you give a year to each desk that you're on, you only have to be on a desk for a year. You can talk to your agent then, and they will put their the force of the agency behind you. And if you're like, you know what? I decided that I would like to be a writer's assistant. 
it's a hard job to get, but they know that if they can place you with one of their clients, then you're going to report back if their client's ever upset, that they know that they've now gotten in within that organization, right? So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Same thing, wherever they place you, it's a mutual beneficial relationship. And that's how the ecosystem truly works. Like that's how you're building your network of contacts. That's how you have friends who are in advertising, friends who are on the feature side, friends who are unscripted, friends who are unscripted from those experiences. And for people who just know that they wanna be in entertainment, it really gives you an understanding of like, oh, I wanna be in foreign film finance. That's not something that you automatically know that you wanna do, right? <laughs> but once you see it and understand that like, oh, it's a really high level packaging agent is what that is, you know? And that's really interesting. I, um, they try to get me to be in the scripted, uh, the feature lit department because of my kind of fancier background, they thought like directors and writers would respond to me. And um, like, that just wasn't my connection. That wasn't my thing. And I wouldn't have known that unless I worked at an agency and was forced to sit on one of those desks. And I'm like, I gotta read all these goddamn scripts and I hate all of them. And I tried to reverse engineer it. I was like, oh, maybe I don't, maybe I'm not seeing it. Let me read the scripts for my favorite movies. These are movies I love. I read the scripts and I was like, I hate these scripts. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not a feature lit person. Cause I don't, I, I don't have that skill to see the quality of it, of its own merit. I need to, you know, I'm in a different scenario. Anyway. Well, so, yeah, you know what? So along those lines though, I do want to ask, like, is there one career advice that you thought was the best career advice you ever got or something along those lines, something that yes. you were taught? Yes. Uh, a department, had, actually, uh, a Larry King's agent. He's also Simon Cowell's agent. And this guy, man, like most agents have like 20 people on their roster. This guy had four people on his roster. Uh, Larry King, Katie Couric, um, uh, Simon Cowell. I'm sorry, five, Connie Chung and Maury Povich. Those wow. five clients would yield him like a hundred million in revenue every year <laughs> from their huge ass deals, you know? Um, and he was a super mellow, like the exact opposite of what you think an agent is supposed to be, like a very calm, thoughtful individual. And he was one of my adjunct professors in business school. And he said two things that I thought were really smart. The first was do what you love because success follows happiness and money follows success. If you chase the money, maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. But if you chase what you love doing, if you love it, if you truly love it and speaks to the point I was making earlier about pitches, if you truly love it, you will be successful at it. There's a, there's no scenario where you can't be because people feel that passion. And when you love it so much, you're not willing to give up. You're not, you don't care if someone says no. You're like, all right, dummy, I'm going to the next person. I'll figure it out, you know? So that was one, um, one that I loved. And then another one, a piece of advice, I think it was from the same professor, was kind of akin to, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats was his, his advice was, stop trying to make your piece of the pie bigger, figure out how to make the pie bigger. And I, I, I always thought that was so smart about like, don't limit your scope to what you think you know, think about it in a, a much more open sense and pretend like there are no parameters. Like if that was the case, how could you, you know, how would you structure this? How would you live this? How would you do this? And I think those are two 
pieces of advice that really are both incredibly invaluable for creatives because it's really, it's, you know, it's not a normal job trajectory, you know? And so I think it's a real challenge, a lot of second guessing, but those two pieces are ones that I, I reference very, very often. So thank you, Alan Berger. Yeah, fantastic <laughs> advice. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. Uh, this was absolutely the best. I don't know how long we've been we've been recording. If you know I'm sorry I got so chatty. So feel no, free. No, to no, like, no, it's fantastic. Chop up and tie listen. Up. We won't be editing anything except when you know, maybe I'll even leave when Ellen came in to talk to you because that. But honestly, I've known you for so long. I, I've said this so many times, and and I'm I'm don't want to embarrass you, but I've said you know flat out like my dad's a rocket scientist, my pseudo brother is a tenure professor at the University of Maryland. I've not been in a room with a smarter person. Um, Very sweet. And, and, no, but, but, but at the same time, it's like what, what makes working with you so endearing is this as smart as you are, we can have a 10 minute discussion to kick everything off if She-Hulk is better than Wonder Woman. I mean, and I think like the first time I came in your office, and I, I'm pretty sure I was wearing a Batman or a Star Wars or Star Trek. You were not. You were absolutely not. You were wearing a Captain Tiberius Kirk jersey, <laughs> like a, his costume top. Oh. And I was like, oh, we're like, and I was like, oh, and you pitched it. And I was like, I'm sorry, but what's the Star Trek part of the pitch? And you're like, nothing. This is just what I wear. And I was <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> but honestly, when, when, when I get to work with you, it is just so awesome. And I've been wanting you to come on the podcast forever just because you know whoever might benefit out of hearing this because you do your 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 advice is great your path is great your story is great i'm glad that your dad didn't talk you out of leaving the mailroom um because it does sound like a couple of times almost but you know <laughs> i managed to make it through and truthfully i don't understand how people can make it in this business without having like a really really strong support network because it's, it's hard and you get paid nothing for your first couple of years. You know what I mean? So uh, I remember when I was an assistant, we had actually had a document that we'd circulate around UTA, which were all the happy hour deals because you would, you'd have to go to drinks to, to network. But especially in LA, I used to, I could only have drinks or dinner. It wasn't like I could afford both. So you'd go to places that like gave you free appetizers or like all this stuff, like you figured it out, you know? And, and I have to say those agency years as an assistant, not as an agent, as an assistant, some of the best in my life, because it's almost like you're rushing. You're with a hundred other people who are assistants, who are your age, who are driven like you and who while there is a competitive element, you're also still all trying to do different things. So it's not quite the same, you know, and it, it was just uh, it was fun. So anytime I can talk about it, I'm happy to. No, th this was fantastic. Biff, you got any closing thoughts? No, I mean, like, you know, I'm not in the industry. So it was really fascinating hearing a lot of the ins and outs, definitely. So, so thank you very much. And uh, I think it's going to be enlightening for a lot of other people also. My pleasure. Um, awesome.